Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and I had every intention this week on my podcast as I was planning it out with Steve DiMeglio for us to chat about the Farmers Insurance Open, Tiger Woods' first PGA Tour event of 2020, maybe get into some Roy McIlroy talk about him ascending to world number one, and John Rahm as we exchange text messages on Saturday evening, winning or not winning at Torrey Pines. Um, but around 1 p.m. Eastern time, everything obviously changed with the news that NBA star Kobe Bryant and several other people who were in the helicopter with him had died in a crash just outside of Los Angeles. It's tragic. It's sad. It's absolutely nuts. And it goes without saying that everyone at Golf Week sends their condolences, both to the Bryant family as well as the loved ones of the people who were in the helicopter. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but in the podcast you're about to hear, Steve and I talk at length about what it was like for him to be around the grounds at Torrey Pines on Sunday afternoon, what Kobe Bryant meant to so many people like Tiger and Rom. Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, and others. We also do talk about the golf and the Farmers Insurance Open, uh, including Mark Leishman's fantastic round on Sunday, Rahm's collapse, and then his near wind down the stretch, and much, much more. It's a somber show. It's got a lot different tone than what we usually have here on the, the Four Press, but sometimes that's the way life goes. Get stronger, get longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard, and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. And I'm joined by Steve DiMeglio. Steve, welcome back. I know that you were on a red eye taking you from Southern California back to your home in Florida. It was absolutely surreal to be watching the CBS coverage, knowing everything that was going on with Kobe Bryant and the crash and basically the whole social media universe blowing up. And at the same time, there's a golf tournament that's going on at Torrey Pines, one of the most beautiful, scenic places we've been looking forward to this event for weeks, really, basically getting Tiger Woods back. What was it like out there at Torrey Pines as sort of the news spread about Kobe Bryant passing away and the whole the whole thing? It was just just insane to be watching. It must have been crazy there. Well, what first of all, the day broke raw and it was chilly. 
and it was cloudy. It wasn't one of the most spectacular, beautiful days at Torrey Pines that just knock your eyeballs out. And then, you know, the day comes off, Tiger tees off uh, early in the morning, and you're looking for that charge and to get the crowd into it. And it was massive crowds. On the weekends, they were really, really massive crowds. And then I'd say about four holes in, we were back in the media center, and that's when the TMZ report came out. Um, And we're saying, wow. So for the next, I'd say, 20 minutes, we just kept updating the computer, trying to get confirmation. Mm -hmm. And finally, a second confirmation came out. And 10 minutes later, a third. And yet we were still getting conflicting reports. There were three people on the plane. There were nine people on the plane. There were four people on the plane. There was a very irresponsible one where they said, we're checking in, but we think all of his daughters were on the plane. (laughs) So not only do you have the stunning news of Kobe's death, and then it's confirmed his daughter's death, and then you start finding out others had died. But the confusion is how many, how did it happen? Where did it happen? When did it happen? Why did it happen? You're still in a conflicting state of mind because one, you don't deal with this very often. Thankfully. Yeah. It it stuns you uh, and you don't know how to handle it and people handle it differently. Um, And then, so then you want to, then we got pretty sure confirmation Kobe has unfortunately has left us. And we ran back out to the golf course just for a couple, a couple of holes to see, okay, do the people know? And you could tell slowly, like a wave, a slow wave going through the galleries that they were getting it on their phones. Um, and then you started hearing a few chants, do it for Mamba, do it for Mamba. Yeah. And, and there were a couple of times Tiger would look over and he'd have a puzzled look on his face. Do it for Mamba. What's going on here? And then there was a conflicting report on TV that, yes, Tiger knew about he had learned about, I think, on the eighth or ninth hole. And I do remember Daddy Pepper, though, saying, I can confirm that Joey, his caddy, knows. Right. And that's all she would say. And so we were back in the newsroom again. You know, we're on deadline. we got to get stuff ready. And, right. And so you're, you're trying to handle this news that this man in his prime is gone. His daughter is gone. There are other children that were on the plane gone. Parents gone. Mothers gone. Just like that. Um, While also trying to keep pace with how the tournament's going on as well, because you got to do your job. Um, It was was bizarre to be, Steve, to be out there it, it must have been bizarre to be out there, but at the same time, for those of us who are watching on TV, and I'm back in Connecticut, and we're recording this on Monday afternoon, Eastern time, it was, and people use the second screen when they watch sporting events all the time, where you've got the TV with the actual action, but the action, with all due respect to the people who are playing golf and to the farmers, it it was it, it just didn't seem to matter. You know, it was one of those things where... Um, I had every intention when you and I were going back and forth on Friday or Saturday, you know, arranging, we'll, we'll do the pod. We're going to talk about 
Tiger, you know, there's some Rory stuff that's going on, maybe going up to world number one. And then when Rom starts to flex some muscles, like, you know, you sort of get a feel for like, okay, these will be the things that we're going to want to talk about and start doing all that gets obviously thrown out the window and it doesn't seem to matter. And here's a guy who's 41 years old, who is an all time great. And you start, you know, reading off the statistics and all this stuff about what he was able to accomplish and the suddenness of it, just literally out of nowhere, all of a sudden, as you say, this, this guy who's in his prime transitioning from being an on court, you know, in the arena superstar to somebody who was as business savvy as entrepreneurial, as creative as any star athlete transitioning away from their sport could probably be. Um, you know, he was doing not just commentary here and there, but he was he didn't want to, it seemed like, be a guy who was going to go to the booth. With all due respect to Shaq and Barkley and Kenny Smith and all those guys, like that's one he wanted to do even more stuff than that. And in some ways right. I felt like we were we've been robbed of whatever he was going to achieve and what he was meant to do beyond just put the ball in the hoop and influence countless kids, including my son, um, you know, YouTube stuff is going to last for forever and, and people will be able to see the highlights. But there was this sense of just, we, we got robbed of something, you know, that was beyond that. And that put the golf, which you were there to cover and, and I was there doing my job and stuff, you know, but it's, it just changed everything. And it must've been trying to write on deadline hard because your head is sort of filled with all this stuff, this enormous story that's going on. And it's, it's a terrible, insane, sad story. But at the same time, Mark Leishman's going out there going nuts and, and making birdies. John Rahm is not having the greatest day. And as you say, the crowd is all aware of this because of social media and some of the players are, and some of the players aren't. How, how did most of the players find out? Do you think? From all the reports and from all of us in there going back and forth up to the scrum area, the only person I heard of, another reporter got, that heard about it on the golf course was Bubba. Bubba Watson was the only one. Mm -hmm. He heard it because some fan told him. Everybody else didn't know. To my knowledge, they didn't know. Tony didn't know. Tony Finau's agent drove down from Los Angeles to give him the news. Yeah. To be there to give him the news because how much Kobe meant to Tony. Yep. Um, Matthew Wolf didn't know until afterwards. Max Homer didn't know until afterwards. Tiger didn't know until afterwards. Rory didn't know until afterwards. John Rahm didn't know until after play was done. Um, so to my knowledge, only one person I know of that, that learned about it on the golf course was Bubba. Um, and I think the immediate reaction obviously was stunned. Tiger when Joey told him as they were walking up the first hole towards the the, the scorecard area, um, and, and he, Joey told him, and Tiger's first thing was, "Excuse me." Yeah, yeah. Hey, and so he so here's here's the sound. Let me uh, let me drop you in because I recorded this one. So here's Amanda Balionis from CBS talking with Tiger Woods about two or three minutes after Tiger signs his scorecard and finds out that uh, Kobe Bryant has passed. Here you go. Tiger, hearts are heavy all over the world today with the news of Kobe Bryant's passing. I know this is hard for you. He was a friend, but you wanted to say a couple words about him. You know, Amanda, I, I didn't know until Joey just told me coming off uh, 18 green. Um, I didn't really understand why uh, the people in the gallery were saying doing it for Mamba. Um, but now I understand. Um, it's a shocker to everyone. Um, un un unbelievably sad and... Um, 
one of the more tragic days that uh, I think, well, for me, it's just, the rally just kind of sitting in because um, I've just told Parlo about, you know, five minutes ago. You've been a Lakers fan your entire life. I know what Kobe meant to you. Joe and Le Joe LaCava says that you guys talk about him a lot on the golf course. What will you remember most about him as a player, but most importantly, as, as a man and father? The fire. The, um, he burned so competitively hot and uh, the desire to win. Um, he brought it each and every night um, on both ends of the floor. I mean, not too many guys can, can say that uh, throughout NBA history that um, he'd lock up on D. Obviously, he was dominant on the offensive side, but uh, anytime he was in the game, he'd, he'd take on their, their, their best player and uh, just shut him down for you know all 48 minutes. And um, that was one of the more impressive things I think throughout this entire career. And then you know when he ruptured his Achilles and went to the foul line and made his shots. I mean that's that's tough. I know this wasn't easy for you. Thank you for yes, joining us. So yeah, so you can see that Tiger. Obviously, I think it was emblematic. There are a lot of guys who had this profound respect for what Kobe Bryant meant from a work ethic standpoint, from an accomplishment standpoint. Did you know about that? Did you know that that amongst golfers, for example, that Kobe seems to have been the guy when it comes to you know the work ethic and the professionalism and, and the mentality? Did did you know that he was the role model for guys like Brooks Kepka and Justin Thomas and these other guys? I knew about a little bit about him for Tiger. Um, I did know Justin Thomas. Um, what, Justin Thomas collects old jerseys, whether it be baseball jer and official ones, mm -hmm. replica. Uh, he might get replicas if he really likes, but really official ones. Um, basketball, football, baseball. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that he was so proud of our, a few years back was getting Kobe's high school a replica of Kobe's high school jersey, basketball wow. jersey, yep. lower Michigan. And I asked him, you know, first of all, JT's uh, hero, JT's guy he likes the most is David Ortiz. Um, and after that, Kobe's right up there. Um, and as you could see in the words that Justin Thomas put out on Instagram, um, and his words were, is that work ethic? Uh Work late, start early. Um, I know he impacted Tony Finau to the point I didn't know what, to what point until yesterday. But, you know, Tony Finau wore some Mamba golf shoes uh, or he had them specially made after the Mamba um, basketball shoe that Kobe mm -hmm. put out. And I remember talking to him about that. But these guys saw the this they, they they grew up and even though these were golfers, there's the other mentality. Even though these were golfers, these young guys growing up, they always considered them athletes, yeah. and so they were intrigued by uh, other performers and and the, the excellence in other sports. And look at how many people you're talking one of the greatest basketball players of all time one of the hardest workers of all time. Um, and you could hear Tony talk about it, Tiger talk about it, Justin Thomas put it out on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kobe making the free throws on the blown Achilles, playing games with broken fingers. As Tiger said, giving everything he had on both ends of the floor, always taking the other team's top scorer, unless it was a seven-foot-eight, right. seven-foot right. center. Um, and so when you talk about 
three names always pop out. Who were the greatest offensive and de- at the same time defensive players in my mind were Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Scottie Pippen. Check, check, I check. Those, yeah, no, I, those are the three that three, came into my mind. Absolutely. And um, they were, I mean, I revel, I just, I mean, when you're growing up, you want to just score, 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 score. And I can remember when the Bulls played the Utah Jazz in the final. And Pippen and Jordan and Harper destroyed that pick and roll that uh, Malone and Stockton, Stockton had. Right. And especially in Chicago when they were at home. And to watch that, that's when I fell in love with defense. I'm serious. Well, when I fell in love with defense in basketball, um, was watching what Pippen and Jordan and Harper did out on the perimeter and down low when they had to. And that's when I get that I think I was old enough at that time to appreciate defense. And that carried over to baseball because I was a baseball nut back then far more than I was any other sport. And I started appreciating defense more. Um, and maybe what it Kobe, is, maybe what it is, Steve, is that, that Kobe sort of for, for basketball, but for all athletes, because I think athletes have a nose for this thing. They sense the work that it takes to look as good and to be as good as it is when the lights are on. It's it's one thing when it's Sunday afternoon, it's you know the game of the week as you and I grew up, you know, because basketball wasn't on all the time. There was always the one or two big games every week. And when you see the guy score 35 points and get 10 rebounds and whatever assists and lock down his guy on defense, you're like, "Oh, that's awesome." But you don't see all the work that went into that. You don't see the behind the scenes. Athletes recognize that. A guy like Justin Thomas or Brooks Kapka or certainly Tiger Woods understands that to look that good on the big stage, there is thousands of hours of practice and work in non-glamorous places that went into making that happen. And I think in some ways, you know, the whole quote unquote Mamba mentality and, and the, is that you're not just going to get up for the game. You're going to get up for the workout, for the, for the effort that it takes and regardless of the outcome, that the effort is constant. To me, that screams Tiger stuff. I mean, that that to me is right there with him. This is a little clip that uh, John Rom put up uh, very late on Sunday evening after he got back from Phoenix. So here, take a listen to what John Rom had to say. Well, <laughs> excuse my hair and I'm up here, my appearance. Uh, just got home from, from Torrey Pines. Um, and I'm not here to talk about my round, my golf, or anything in my life. Uh, today, is, uh, it's a sad day in this world, and especially for athletes, because uh, one of the greatest athletes and one of the best basketball players of all time uh, passed away today. Um, it's hard to know where to begin. I felt like a post wasn't going to be enough, so I just wanted to express where I'm at. Uh, Kobe was a great, great reference of mine. I've studied his career, and even though it's not the same sport, the way he dedicated to his to his work, the attention to detail, and how much he put into every day of his life trying to be the best player, the best he could be. It's, it's truly inspiring. He's inspired so many people, and uh, I aspire to be like him in that sense, uh, trying to be the best that he can become, and uh, have the Mamba mentality that he only had, right? And so you can hear from from what Wam was saying, is, is it, it's really the work that these athletes admire so much. There's... There's just parallels and just insane amounts of respect 
that golfers, I think, because there's 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 so much there's so much individualism in golf, they just admire the respect that that he put in for his own game. Sure, I mean, I I, I would imagine there were a few times when Kobe held up the team bus for an hour because he was doing a shoot around after the game. That some of the players didn't appreciate that. Yeah, but that's what Kobe did at times, many times. I kept reading that in, in stories when. Oh, God, growing up, I, I would have been in Minnesota, then I would have been in Palm Springs, and then I would have been in Washington, D.C., where Kobe was still playing. And so you'd rely on Bill Plasky, the L.A. Times, and write-ups in the L.A. Times and Sports yeah. Illustrated. You would see if Kobe held up a team bus again because doing that extra shootout or he was lifting weights to cool down or whatever it was. And, you know, you started hearing more and more about that Mamba mentality. And and that's what Tony Finau really went into Um and that it drives you to go and hit that extra bucket of balls. It drives you to get up 45 minutes earlier than you wanted to or stay up an extra hour when mm-hmm. you didn't want to. Um, and there are just some people that have it and some don't. Um, Tiger obviously had it. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that outworked him over his career. Right. Um, and you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who outworked Kobe. And he was... That's what you know. Getting back, I don't. What we were, what we were, what we're gonna miss is look. Kobe Bryant was an Oscar winner. He won an Oscar <laughs> in his first excursion into entertainment. Two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Yep. And he's he was going to be going into the music business. He was going to go into the uh, movie business, television business. He wanted to write children's books. You know, he would have expanded his basketball. Uh, gymnasium uh, league and uh, training center and that hopefully that will still come through but it would I we can only imagine now what kind of a force Kobe would have been from this point on it's the worst part because there's so much that he accomplished and in some ways we feel like we've our appetite has been whetted for what he would have accomplished if he hadn't been taken you know from us so prematurely in in a way this sort of predates both you and I getting really into to the golf world, but I had a flash as it was all going on. So I found out my son had to run out to the store real quick. He's in the middle of midterms. He was getting some stuff. He came back inside. He's like, Dad, I I think that Kobe Bryant just passed away. I think he just he just got killed. I'm like, what? This is go go do your homework. Or something. I was like, this can't be yeah. happening. I, I Google Kobe Bryant on my phone. There's nothing there. I click on the news section of it. And just a few minutes later, you know, then, then I had just done it. What I'm seeing is like the initial TMZ report. And I'm like, oh my God, is there something to this? And I kept standing there and it took me about an hour till I was, I was waiting for something to come out that, that this isn't really true, that, that what I was seeing, it wasn't true. But in a same, in a strange way, I'm bringing this back around. It reminded me of Payne Stewart, you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that in 1999, Payne Stewart, you know, a major champion, one of the great personalities in the world of golf dies in an equally crazy, brutally sad way when basically what the, the cabin depressurized everybody essentially on this private plane went unconscious. And then the plane crashed when it ran out of fuel in the middle of nowhere. I think it was up in North Dakota or something like that. And we just had the 20th anniversary of that a few months ago, I think it was October of 99 is when the incident happened. And so we just passed the 20 year anniversary of that. Um, 
did that flash through your head? Was anybody talking about Payne Stewart or was it not sort of connecting dots that way? Because to me, no, it's, it, it, it was just nuts. It came up. Um, what I thought of immediately, and, and granted, I'm older than, you know, I'm in my late 50s. Uh, I, I immediately thought of Roberto Clemente. Um, yeah. Because I was, I would have been 11 at that time and it stunned my father. Because here was another guy in his prime. I mean, he, he what he could have done. Um, I thought of Princess Di. Um, and again, I'm older than most people, so a lot of people might not have been. But I remember where I was when Princess Di was gone. Um, and Thurman Munson came up. Um, I mean, when you're trying, when you're trying to do all this other stuff, still things pop in your head. Um, yeah. you know, waiting for confirmation and, uh, then you get the confirmation, then you get some more conflicting reports and then, all right, I got to write this. I got to write that. I got to write that. I got to write this. I got to get this. I got to get that. And then you start seeing people put out on social media, oh, this is the most tragic death in sports history. And you go, first of all, why do we have to quantify it? Secondly, do we really want to go down that road? Um, why do we have to go down that road? Just Let's just deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what came up with me. Payne Stewart, I would have been working on Capitol Hill then. I remember where I was at Gannett News Service. Um, and it was pretty confirmed right away that who was on that plane um, from the manifest. And, and then that was surreal because you just waited for it to run out of fuel. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't do anything. Exactly. They couldn't um, do anything. So they that, couldn't reach anybody. And you were waiting for this tragedy to happen without any mechanism or way to avert it. You know, yeah. it was something that was happening in, in a way that I'm lucky and sad that it hasn't happened before. But this will be the first event that my son, who's 15, is going to remember 50 years from now. Where were you? Do you remember what happened when you what were you doing when you found out that Kobe Bryant passed away? Like, he'll, I remember challenger exploding i remember that happening yeah. when i was a freshman in high school that one was a big one um when ronald reagan was shot i remember where i was with that one i, I, I wasn't alive when jfk was assassinated but these things happen and it's it's tragic and i hate as well that we have to quantify everything we have to say this is the third biggest this or this is the the biggest sports you just named off all these different events that are that are awful and um but then I, you yeah. know, what I did then, here's another thing. When you, as fortunate uh, as I am to travel around as much as I do, you got to kill a lot of time in airports. And so your your mind wanders. So I wanted to flip it. And I said, okay, Steve, the greatest moments in sports history in your life that you remember as where were you? And I remember exactly where I was when the miracle on ice happened. You know, I remember where I was when uh, the Red Sox won their first World Series in over 100 years. Yep. And how happy that made my father because uh, he was a Ted Williams. He was his hero. And so I tried to flip it, and I said, okay, where were, where were you when these great mo- – when uh, Michael Johnson ran that 200 meters and broke the 22nd mark, and I still to this day think it's one of the greatest things I ever saw on TV. Um, and then – you take you to the moments of, you know, where were you when Tiger putted out on 18 to win the 2019 Masters? Where were you when 
he made the putt at Torrey Pines in the 2008 U.S. Open. So um, hopefully more people will have more thoughts of those type of memories than the ones like Princess Di, Kobe, Thurman Munson, Roberto Clemente. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a day that uh, I'll remember for a while. Hey, ever hear about the ex-football star who robbed a Brinks truck and tucked $400,000 under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube? No? Then you'll want to listen to season one of The Sneak, a podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The Sneak is a new, serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or get it anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesday, January 14th. Let's talk about some of the golf and some of the things that you were there at Torrey Pines to cover at the Farmers Insurance Open. Mark Leishman is our winner. How do you do it? I mean, if you come into the, coming into Sunday, uh, all due respect to the big Aussie, it, it seemed like it was John Rahm's tournament to lose. He lost. Um, what did you see from Mark Leishman? Because obviously he he was on fire. Well, uh, he he buries the first two holes from short distance. He misses a five footer for birdie on the third, and then he makes another birdie from short distance on the fourth. And about this time. John Rahm, Ryan Palmer, and Roy McIlroy, they're in the final group. They all bogeyed the first hole. Rory added another bogey on the second hole. Rahm tangled with the hazard to the left of the third hole, double bogeys three. Ryan Palmer and Rory both bogey four. And all of a sudden, here's Mark Leishman, (laughs) who's still making putts, still hitting fairways, and just – hitting great iron shots 10 holes into his round he had turned a four shot deficit at the starter round to a three shot lead and you're wondering okay you think roy can make a move but roy just looks like nothing's going on yeah there yeah and same with rom and ryan palmer never got it going and then leishman started hitting it sideways but the putter saved him he called it his MVP after the round was well, the putter. Well, he had he, he had um, amongst players who who won. I took a look at the stats as I'm wont to do. His strokes game putting, which basically means how much better did he putt, uh, in measured in strokes versus the average guy out there yesterday. He was plus four point seven eight, which basically mm-hmm. means that he earned four and three quarter shots against the field strictly by the value of his putting. And that is the biggest differential, the biggest strokes game putting of any winner in on a Sunday at Torrey Pines, which means that he basically putted better than anybody else ever had on a Sunday to win at Torrey. When when you've got that kind of putting, it's funny because he didn't drive it great. You know, he 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 hits some fairways down the stretch. He hits the ones that he needed to. Again, the stats are a little bit deceiving. Didn't drive it great for the week, but that putter, Steve, was just en fuego. Yeah. Well, 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 I mean, he makes a 20-footer for par on 12. He makes a 15, uh, a 14-footer for par on 14, a 15-footer for par on 15. 
the seven footer for par on 16. Uh, and at about this time, Rory had made his charge. You know, Rory eagled six, birdied eight, birdied nine. But then three putted 11. Yeah. Now, granted, it was from like 55 feet, 60 feet. But, but still, still, that's that his start. Yeah. But now you start, oh, Rom's not completely out of it. He He just makes a move. So, okay, but you're looking up at that scoreboard. Snedeker made a charge after he eagled 13 from a foot. Um, but then he tangled with 15, wrong side of the hole. That hurt him there. Um, but then, okay, I think Leishman, Leishman's got it in the bag. But then Rom, the birdie on 16. As tough as that hole was playing, he knocks it to seven feet and makes it. Then birdie's 17. Okay, now he needs eagle on 18. Because Leishman came up with that clutch birdie to finish right. on 18. Showed you a whole lot about who Leishman is. Because um, he was hitting it sideways on that back nine. Um, but he makes that birdie. And everybody knows that Rom needs eagle to tie. Except for Rom. <laughs> um, we didn't know this until afterwards. He thought he needed Birdie to get into a playoff. And he hit a magnificent five wood to the back of the green, just where he was when he knocked in yeah. a close eagle putt to win his first PGA Tour title in 2017 at the Farmers. And he left this one inches short. And... Looking back on it, I can understand why his reaction was. Because to me, he goes, he was satisfied. But it was that weird thing. And, and now it makes sense. He was a little disappointed that he hadn't made the eagle putt. But he was satisfied because, okay, I got my tap in birdie. Let's go to the Let's playoff. Let's go to the playoff. Exactly. Yeah, it's a playoff. He didn't know it. And he talked about it afterwards. He goes, I still wouldn't have done anything different. Well, he would have thought differently. You well, know? yeah. I mean, he, it, it, he, 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 I'm sure hit the best five that he could, but he knows obviously with water short, got to go long. He's made that putt coming down the hill. He understands what he needs to do. How do, how do caddies, how do players not know the score on Sunday with starting, for example, on the back nine? The strategy I can, I can understand. Look, I'm going to go. I'm going to focus on my round. I'm going to shoot the best round possible and let the result speak for itself. That, to me, is the kind of talk for a guy who's looking to get a top 20 or is satisfied with just making checks. John Rahm is elite, and winning is what he needs to be about. And how can he and Adam, his caddy, not be totally on the same page coming down the stretch? He makes eagle on 13. Birdie's 14, okay, little slip up there on 15, but as you said, 16, 17, birdie's there. It's like, you're grooving, baby. Let's let's get it. And to not know the score of the – like, how, how is that possible? I don't – and again, there's some guys that don't look at scoreboards. There are other guys that look every yeah. time they – there are guys that are bothered by that there are not enough scoreboards out there at times. Um, and maybe John Rahm has told Adam, don't tell me anything. You know, maybe he's the type of player, uh, don't tell me anything. I've got this. You know, it's like, unfortunately, the Adam Scott telling Stevie Williams at the British Open that year, I've got this. Don't mm. get in my ear. And Adam Scott went bogey, 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 bogey to lose by one um, to Ernie Els. And so I don't know that relationship. 
with Adam and John. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a weird one. That just added to the other weirdness of the day. But um, as poorly as he played, and he said he couldn't have played worse than he did the first 10 holes. And, I mean, this is elite guy hitting shots, you know, wedge on on three that he yeah. pulls at least 18 feet. Two chunks later, he still isn't on the green. Now, granted, it was heavy grass over there. But still. But I can't remember anybody else being over there this week. Um, and he just couldn't get anything going. And, and it, like he did hit it tight in on four, but didn't come close to making the putt. Um, you're going, man, how can a man be this so, so good, look so bad? And then he looked like John Rahm again. Um, same with Rory. How could Rory at times look as bad as he does because you know who he is? And then Rory became Rory again. Um, I chalk it up, Steve. Two- to I chalk it up, Steve. To, to Rahm is still just twenty five. It already seems like he's been around forever because there was no maturation process for the game. He showed up on the PGA Tour and immediately was impactful. Could immediately like impress his will on the golf course and be successful. As you mentioned, he's, he's been winning a lot recently, but he's been winning since he basically turned pro. He was the most known commodity. The next can't miss guy um, coming out of Arizona state in 2016. Everybody knew he was going to be good. And he was right away. Good. Sort of like what we're seeing, but to, to be honest with you, even more than like the guys like Matthew Wolf, Victor Holland, Morikawa, like Rom coming out of Arizona State was better than those guys and and just had this big game that seemed like it was built for the tour. He's still just twenty five. And yeah. Go ahead. I think what had what what elevated his stature, what elevated people knowing who he was, is Phil Mickelson said, guys, he's gonna be in the top five in the world. Real well, because I've been told by a couple <laughs> people, you know, that that were involved with the sort of the recruiting, if you will, quote unquote, of John Rom over to TaylorMade. Um, Keith Zabarbaro, who is was a former collegiate teammate of Mickelson, arranged a game with John and Phil at one point. And I don't know if it was a Whisper Rock, I forget. I think it actually may have been out in San Diego. And Rom is a college player. And he comes over, he meets Mickelson, and beats him. And Phil's just like, who the hell is this kid? And he just sees the talent. And sees this guy who's not intimidated by a guy who's already in the World Golf Hall of Fame and still has you know, the talent and the cachet that Mickelson still has. Rom just, just like, I'm just going to go out and beat this guy. And that's not something that you see every day. He was just thought of so highly and is still just so young. Yeah. And he's number three in the world. Rory's number two in the world. And I'm starting to get the impression, you know, it's starting to dawn on me. I'm not talking about look, when I, I came out there in 2007, um, and basically every tournament I went to that Tiger played in, you thought he was going to win. Um, he was so good that there were the bets were, do you want Tiger or the field? Yeah, That's sure. Tiger. Now, I'm not saying Rory's at that level. Rory, nobody's at that level again. I don't think we're ever going to see that level again. But Rory, you know, is going to contend. The guy hadn't played in almost 12 weeks. And he had a shot. Um he won the last PGA Tour event of the decade, the last decade. He won that one. His first start of this decade, he, he was right in contention. 
Now he's going to take another three or four weeks off, and then he's going to play Rip. I'd be shocked if he's not in contention there. I think he's going to be in contention every week, no matter where he plays. And John Rahm, I think, is the same, in the same boat. Um, those two guys don't look like they're going to take weeks off. Um, they just – Rahm with that compact swing, and like you say, he's 25. He's going to keep learning and learning and learning. Rory's still learning and learning and learning. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, I, I can't wait to see Brooks in person again. I'm hoping he's Brooks again because if you got Brooks being Brooks, DJ being DJ, Justin Thomas being Justin Thomas, John Rahm being John Rahm, Rory McIlroy being Rory, and Tiger is certainly going to be yep. a contender this year. Wow, this could be another great year. And I'm thinking week after week after week after week, you're hoping two, three of those guys are in the same field week after week after week. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I, I, I've left off Xander Schauffele, who unfortunately missed sure. the cut. Justin Patrick Thomas, Cantley. Patrick Cantley, yeah, all these yeah, guys. It's, it's we're 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 dripping right now with talent on on the PGA Tour, and a lot of these guys are under 35. I mean, it's to to me. Is you're listing off those players in 2016, 17, and a good part of 18? I would have thought if you'd asked me who's the most talented player, everybody's playing their best. Who's who's the guy? I thought it was Dustin Johnson. I thought if everybody's all clicking, that DJ is the one that has the most complete game, and when he puts it all together, I think he's the guy. And starting really last year, with all due respect to everything that Brooks achieved, which is a hell of a lot, I think it's Rory. And I sort yeah. of have come around to Rory because the putting has improved so much and he's the best driver of the ball. The iron game is there. Sneaky good short game. But working with Brad Faxon for the last year or two has made his putting more athletic. He's he's less mechanical. He's more flowing. It's like when he first came out on tour back in 2007, 2008. It's like, oh, who's this kid? And he's getting smarter, as you sort of alluded to. Like He's figuring it out. He's learning. He's figuring it out. And Rom's going to go through the same process. Um, and if you get two or three of these guys in any given field, they're not going away. Like the idea of Rory finishing T45 to me is unfathomable. He's just too good. He's just, he's, he's always going to be, his bad day is going to be like a T11. Like, oh, he didn't even top 10 this week. What what happened? He's always going to be in the top 10 and all the guys you just mentioned are going to be there. So it's, um, it should be pretty interesting. Who do you think has a better shot to achieve the number one ranking in 2020 tiger or Rom? Oh, I think Johnny Rahm. Um, one, I think he'll play more. Um, two, I don't have to worry about John Rahm being healthy or not going every week. Strong uh, like we, bull. You, you still have to think about that with Tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, though he has shown no indication in Zozo. Yes, he took that Saturday off at the President's Cup because he just couldn't get right. Um, but other than that, he's been fit he's been lean he's been strong um and he's gonna be a serious force this year um from what i saw at tory and i was there at zozo and i was there at the president's cup where he was the best player on in the game um i don't see him going away i mean consider what he did at tory now, granted, it's one of his favorite places there. He's won eight mm-hmm. times. I'm sorry, nine times if you count his World Junior Championship <laughs> that he won there, too. But uh, he was testing clubs. He was testing his driver and the golf ball. 
And when you do that, and you still T9 it with a four putt, um, his swing, I don't know much, a whole lot about the swing, but I listen to what other people say about the swing, mm-hmm. and they're saying, they're saying, he is swinging it as good as he's ever swung it. And it looks effortless. It's getting back to the point. It looks effortless. Um, his head isn't dropping anymore. His shoulder isn't drooping anymore. I keep hearing that. The shoulder isn't dropping. The head isn't dipping. Um, the follow-through is just pure on every shot. Um, he's, oh, I hope that back stays well. I hope he stays well because uh, it's it's going to be fun to watch. It should be. You know, the ball striking numbers all indicate he finished sixth in strokes gained tee to green, which means the driving and the iron game are in good shape. And uh, as you mentioned, testing out equipment, testing out stuff. I know the PGA Tour doesn't like to hear it, but obviously everything right now is all about April. Everything right now is getting his his body dialed in, his equipment dialed in, sharpening up his game. Um, obviously, he would love to play well at the players. He'll, he'll want to compete and do well, but everything in these tournaments that he's going to play is leading him up to Augusta and to that second Sunday in April. And I agree with you. I'm right there. It's, it's look, this is a nice result. First event of 2020. We're healthy, hitting the ball good, made some nice putts on Saturday. Didn't really make a lot of putts on Sunday. That's going to happen. But as far as the opening of a new decade of Tiger Woods playing golf, you got to really, really like what you're seeing from Tiger. Um, when is he going to be most likely playing again? What's his schedule over the next couple of few weeks? Well, he'll take the next two off, and he will come back at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club. He hosts that tournament, and it benefits his foundation. And it's one of the three PGA Tour events, uh, regular tour events, that give a three-year exemption to the winner. Mm. Um, it's going to have a world-class field. Rory is going to come back. His ne- Rory's playing next. Uh, will be at Riv. Um, Justin Thomas will be there. JB Holmes defending. Brooks will make his United States debut at uh, there. Um, DJ will be in the field. Spieth will be in the field. Um, just it's going to you know Patrick Cantley will be in the field. Zen will be in the field. It's just going to be loaded. Um, and after that, again, nobody knows. But I, I, I see him playing the Mexico Championship the following week. Yep, WGC. After- Yep. After the WG, the Genesis, then I think he'll play Arnie's, and then the players, mm-hmm. and then I think he'll play match play again, just as he did last year, which would go players week off, match play week off, Masters. Masters, perfect. Um, perfect. And it's just, and hope, and he, like you said, he's he's got his eye on Augusta. Now, he certainly has his eye on the Players' Championship. He loves that tournament. Yeah. He loves he, – he, it's it's the Players' Tournament. He loves that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's he's but eyeing that title defense. Would, I was going to say, wouldn't you agree, though, that there's if he had two goals that he was able to achieve this year? Number one, I think he really wants to make the Olympic team. I think that he would love to experience being a part of the Olympic team, going there and representing the United States in the one place where he hasn't been able to go before. And realistically – this is going to be his. This could be his last chance. I mean, four more years, given the track record with his body, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that this is probably going to be it for him as far as the Olympics goes. And then the other one, he. How much would he be tickled if he could actually successfully defend his Masters 
tied Jack with six. I think mm-hmm. he would be absolutely just over the moon if he was able to somehow win again at Augusta National. Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. Look, he's got four monsters on his plate. Pursuing number 83, which would give him the all-time record. And Rory McIlroy told us 83 wins is more impressive than 15 majors. To Rory. Because it's a relentless pursuit of a number that we aren't going to see again. I I know we said there's never going to be another Jack Nicholas and Tiger came along. But 83, if you win four times a year, which right now gets you player of the year, you have to do it for 20 years and you're still three short. <laughs> you know, so um, he's got 83 on his mind. He's got six green jackets on his mind. He's got the Olympics on his mind. And he's got that little gathering in Wisconsin against the Europeans on his mind. Oh, I think you're um, right. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. And and for all the and, players that we just mentioned a little a few minutes ago, um, boy, isn't it great that it's a Ryder Cup year. Oh, wouldn't it be great if they were I, all fit, playing well, and all of a sudden we all get to go up there, have a few brats and beers, and take in that little competition. By the way, Rory McIlroy, 18 PGA Tour wins. So a uh, long way to go. And I think that he gives a really, really interesting perspective when Rory, who's been a definitive winner um, on the sure. tour, and, and when he says it's the 82 wins and 83 to break a record, and he's going to break the record. He'll, he'll get a win. Um yeah, Rory McIlroy is 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 trailing by you know over sixty wins, sixty. Well, I, just look at the second best player of Tiger Woods' generation is Phil Mickelson, and he's got forty four. Tiger's thirty eight ahead of that. That's a, a Hall of Fame 30, career between the two of them. Thirty eight PGA yeah. Tour wins is is first ballot Hall of Famer, and that's the difference between one and two in that generation. So. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Listen, Steve, I'm going to let you uh, catch a little bit of rest. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, what's the best way to do it? On Twitter, Steve underscore Demeglio. Um, Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Uh, post there occasionally. <laughs> um, and go to the Golf Week and USA Today websites and, and track us all down for all of our coverage. Sounds good. As always, buddy, great work, great stuff this week. I appreciate your help. Thanks, big man.